Hi from the Grio. I'm your co-host, Dr. Christina Greer. And today we have a special guest co-host. Yes. Hi, I'm Marina Franklin from the Friends Like Us podcast, also comedian. And you're listening to What's In It For Us. We have so much to discuss, Marina. So this week we're going to discuss the one year remembrance of George Floyd and how his death has affected cities, elections, social media, Black people, both in the United States and abroad. And we're also going to reflect on the 100 year anniversary of the Tulsa massacre that so many people are just now learning about. So what are your thoughts on these two topics? I think it's a great time to have a discussion about these topics since there seems to be a debate about whether or not it should be in our education in our school system. And there's such a debate about the 1619 project. So in defense of why we should have that in our schools, this is a great conversation to have. Oh, I'm so excited to have you here, Marina. And you all are listening to What's In It For Us. Okay, so Marina, before we get started, I'm so glad I have you here today because during our Hot Topic Timeline segment, I wanted to reflect on the passing of comedian Paul Mooney, and I thought you might have some thoughts on the writer, actor, comic who died last week at the age of 79. Uh, he's most famously known as being a writer for the late great comedian Richard Pryor, and he sort of introduced you know, us to a, this link between the past and the present in comedy, you know, with his work on The Chappelle Show. Um, and he has just like this long resume of working at Hollywood as a writer for famous television shows, Sanford and Son, if you like Sanford and Son, if you love good times, uh, how are you feeling about this? Well, it was a sad loss for Paul Mooney represents the end of an era of just honesty on stage, no shame, no guilt, no apologies. Um, you know, I, I would think that Paul Mooney would be the type of comedian that the alt-right would try to cancel if he were to still continue. You know, he 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 kept performing. He was the best at it all the way up until the end. And um, I actually opened for Paul Mooney at Caroline's on Broadway, and it was an honor to open for him and to go on stage and have him shake. Well, no, he, he actually doesn't shake hands. He was the original person who never shook hands. Um, you know, he was, but he said, I will hug you, you know? And um, I actually, I took that from him. I stopped shaking other people's hands and I just hugged. But it was also like being a comedian that would feature for a comedian like that, you know, that really does not exist anymore. That is authentic. That is the real deal that tells it like it is, that tells white people that they're the devil and can still make them laugh in the audience, that can not apologize about black history um, and still make people laugh, that can give a narrative, a story, a comedy story to a black audience, not to a white audience, uh, um, a narrative that is unapologetically black as a comedian. I'll miss that. And to open for him and to watch it, I learned a lot. I learned, you know, to take those chances on stage, to not pander to a white crowd. I learned that from Paul Mooney. And it was interesting because it was at that time I was actually, I had a white boyfriend and I was doing all this material about 
him on stage about how I was going to go to his mama's house and say, I got your baby boy. I'm a Black Panther. I'm not a cougar. You know, I was doing all that material. It was really funny. And, and Paul Moody was went up right after me. And I remember him looking at me and saying, he goes, you are a funny girl. And when you have someone say that to you, like Paul Mooney, it's like the blessing from the comedy gods. And it gave me validation. It gave me the, um, the encouragement to continue. And, and that I, and I knew I was doing the right thing that I was, I was doing the right thing on stage. And he then went on stage afterwards to talk, to trash the fact <laughs> that I dated a white guy. And, he, and then he also said, look, ooh, he said, ooh, times are changing. You got a black girl on stage talking about dating a white man. I mean, you know, it just right away, it just takes you back to all the all of the original styles of where black comedy came from. That's Paul Mooney. And with his passing, like it's a really good time to reflect on him. You know, I think even for me as a stand up comic, I didn't do enough of my homework about him. And so I think this is a really great time for the young generation that's entering stand up, that's learning the craft of stand up to really look back at Paul Mooney and what he's done and to learn from him because we have a lot of, you know, cancel culture right now. Some of it's warranted. Some of it, I understand, but some of it is hurting comedy and someone like Paul Mooney would probably get canceled. And so we really have to look at what he did, how he did it and study it and understand where it came from and why it was necessary at the time it was necessary. As a black comedian, what do you think is the best way to honor Paul Mooney? The best way to honor Paul Mooney would be to study him, look at everything he's done, look at all his works, Sanford and Son, he wrote for Richard Pryor. You know, a lot of people don't know that comics have writers um, and writers songwriters we were just talking about that actually on my podcast how songwriters don't get a lot of credit um you know where did richard Pryor get a lot of his material from you know paul mooney this is the man so if you're a, a young black comedian and you really want to know how to be funny you know we have the obvious dave chappelle we have the obvious chris rock but where did they get their comedy roots from paul mooney so you have to really reach all the way back. Don't just look at the ones that are on TV that the industry gives you, or as I say, the 1% controls. Um, so like comedy is still controlled by the white man. Paul Mooney was never controlled by that. So really, if you look at Paul Mooney, you can learn so much from him and it'll make you a better stand-up comedian. Thank you so much for that, Marina. I, and I hope those out there listening who are interested in comedy will really take that to heart. We'll be thinking about what's in it for us. So Marina, I'm glad you're here today. It's the one year remembrance of George Floyd. And we know that Mr. Floyd died after being handcuffed and pinned to the ground by an officer's knee that was captured on video and it touched off a nationwide and I would argue worldwide protest. Uh, he was only 46 years old. Sadly, so many of us have seen that video of him calling for his mother 
and essentially watching a man lose his life. Um, how are you feeling in reflecting on the one year and all the turbulence uh, and, that we've that we've gone through as a community subsequently? Yeah, it's very it's a, a very self reflective moment because I think about where I was when we were, you know, watching this. We were all locked down, um, locked in, and there was no distractions. You couldn't look away, um, and so I reflect on how I felt at the time, which was there was a lot of anger. Um, there was a lot of like understanding of how much we do look away. And, you know, I think it's a good time to remember that we cannot look away. Um, and cause when we do, we forget and we miss out on the meanings of these moments and how to really continue to fight and work for these moments to never happen again. So I, that's, that's how I feel. I'm thinking about where I was when I couldn't go out, when I couldn't perform on stage and make everything funny, but when I had to actually look at the screen and face the reality of what America is, which is it's a very racist country. So I think this is a good time to, to reflect on that, to read, to look at your news sources that you trust, to be informed, to stay informed, and to educate those around you who, who seem to be losing that ability to stay focused on our subject as Black people and American who Americans who deal with oppression, systemic racism. Because, you know, um, I go into the comedy scene all the time and I'm around a lot of, you know, white comics. And so for them, you know, it may their time is up on, on protesting, you know, maybe they're like, okay, the world is open again and I don't have to look at this anymore. But the truth is, no, we, we cannot look away. We have to continue to stay focused on this fight for um, justice for well, black I mean, lives. It, I, the reason why I love talking to you and other comedians is because you all are these conduits of information and you help us process what's going on around us in an oftentimes funny way, sometimes it's a narrative way and we get to a punchline if we get to one. Uh, and the type of smart comedy and storytelling that you provide as comedians to me is always complicated in these moments because you find the funny, like we've been together, <laughs> like you find the funny in everything. And so how has it been this past year as we're reflecting on George Floyd and so many George Floyds in our various communities around the globe how do you provide that sort of comfort and community and belonging in, in an era, in a situation that is so serious and so hurtful and we're still so, we're still grieving so strongly? Well, it's a difficult role. I mean, the reality of that is it takes time, you know, to, um, you know, I used to say on stage, it's going to take me a long, like I never talked about the last president. Cause I never, I used to say on stage, I don't find this funny. <laughs> he makes me curse. <laughs> uh, but you know, just thinking about the man, all of a sudden expletives just, <laughs> yeah. Out. You know, I was like, I don't, I would tell the audience though. I I'm a type, you know, every comic works in a very different way. Um, I work from where I'm honestly at. So if I'm not feeling the moment to talk about it on stage, I have to take care of my mental health and I may not talk about it at that time but it's in the back of my mind, you know, like I oftentimes like right now, the world is just opening the club comedy clubs have just opened up. 
you know, I'm just for the first time going back inside on stage. And so there's a bit of a um, anxiety that I have to deal with on that level. And then I also have to deal with the other anxiety level of this is a white audience again that I'm talking to, you know, at home, I can control my audience, right? I can make my audience and my friends all, you know, the same opinions, the same views. But when I get on that stage, all of a sudden I'm in front of people who I'm looking at who, oh, you, oh, you don't agree with what I'm saying, or you didn't see what just happened to George Florida. You don't agree with the verdict. So I realized like, I have to take care of myself in those moments. I mean, right now, the things I'm doing is I have to get them laughing so that I can get what I want to say out. I'm very sneaky that way. So I get them on my side first, and then I'll say something like, um, you know, I noticed that in Harlem, you know, it was gentrified, but after the pandemic, I think it's going back, <laughs> you know, looks like white people were like, oh, this was not a good idea, you know, but it's also like, I'm looking at them in the audience and I'll, I'll hear them laugh at a, 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 a Trump joke, let's say before me, or a, a guy doing a Trump impersonation before me. And I'll go, huh, I'll go on stage. I'll go, I see how you were laughing at that. I see you. I'm, I know exactly. I'm looking at to see exactly who everyone is in this audience because you don't have on a T-shirt that says I'm one of the good ones. So I don't know. You know, so, you know, it's gauging, playing around on stage with material, but also like, you know, taking care of my mental health with it. So it takes time. You can't carry the burden on stage. You have to let it go for the moment to make people mm. laugh. Um, you you have to the job is to make people laugh. So you have to take your time with it. You know, the mistake that young comics make is they'll rush into material like that before they're ready for it. Um, and also before they, and then they may not have the tools to make that funny. So, you know, when you get on stage with material like this and it's very important to me and it's very important to express it, it just takes time. So you have to be patient with yourself. So, um, you know, some, some com like a comment, like Paul Mooney, the brilliance of Paul Mooney was that he could go on stage and do a whole hour about it. And it was polished. It's at least it seemed polished because, you know, he was authentically that. And right. that's that, but that he, that was a gift, you know, um, someone like me, you know, when I get the, 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 the real gold, it takes time. It mm -hmm. takes a lot of time. Mm -hmm. So I gauge, I see what's going on in the room and I, and then I talk about it, but I, I have to be completely honest. Some of it's of returning to stand up with this past year of racial tension um, is not easy. It's, it's been somewhat disappointing. Um, I'll look at the audiences and I'll see sometimes they're really great. And then sometimes they have a bit of a privileged attitude and I get angry. So that doesn't work for, st <laughs> for stage. For, for an angry comedian. It's like, you know what? I don't want you all here. I mean, I, I'll make it funny, my anger. I'll, I'll make my anger funny. I'll say something like, oh, no, you don't sit there acting like that after the year we just had. Uh, switching gears really quickly, I wanted to talk about Tulsa and the 100 year anniversary of the Tulsa massacre. Uh, in an incident that most Americans don't know even happened. And we have Mother Viola Fletcher, who's 107 years old, one of the oldest uh, living survivors of that massacre. 
When you're trying to explain the emotional gravity of something like Tulsa, how do you weave in all of that history into connecting and educating your audience also while making them laugh? Well, you have to be, I'm subtle. So, you know, I don't, I don't say I'm educating them and I don't hit them over. I don't, I don't start with something like Tulsa. I won't, I, I, I don't, I haven't talked about it on stage basically, but I will say things that will allude to it. And then they'll be like, Hey, does she just give us a lesson? How did that happen? So it's more subtle for me um, here. Like for example, you know um, yeah, I just don't, I don't have a joke about Tulsa. I don't, cause I don't really don't find that funny. Um, but I will have a joke about systemic racism. So for, but it's, it's not, I don't say it's systemic racism. I talk about being in Harlem and how I saw a ripe tomato and I knew white people were coming. Um, that is about gentrification. That's about systemic racism. Um, but I'm not labeling it that, and I'm not telling them that, but they're getting the lesson. And from their laughter, I realize they also know that this is true, that in black neighborhoods, there are food deserts, that we don't have the access to something like fresh produce. Um, you know, when I talk about, let's say, um, marching, going to, uh, let's say uh, the women's march and how like, you know, I'll talk about how my guilt of not being in the march, you know, uh, because I have a weak bladder, you know, but at the same time, I'm bringing up, <laughs> you know, I'm bringing up the march. I'm talking about feminism, feminism. You know, I tried to work on a bit for a while. I said, you know, uh, about Harriet Tubman, about how she wanted to be at the march, but they were like, oh, no, you don't, you know, I can't say the N word, but you know, it was basically about the separation between white feminism and black feminism. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I will make stories around the subject. And sometimes I'll hit the name and it'll, and it'll hit them too, but you can't start with something like, uh, you know, this is what this joke is going to be about for me. That's not how I do it. I'm, I'm very subtle. And at the end of the day, you'll have a lesson and you'll be like, how, how did she just do that? Um, because that I find that, yeah, I find it more interesting to come at, and it's probably, uh, you know, in the past year after realizing, you know, it's probably from dealing with the, the truth of the matter is I have a white audience that I'm in front of most of the time. And I have to sort of, trick them into educating them about our mm. past and about the the emotions like I, i'll say on stage after following a white comedian oh i wish i could talk about you know horses <laughs> he's talking about horses oh i if i got up here talking about just horses all the for a whole hour you guys would think i was crazy you'd be like doesn't she know what's going on you know, it just takes, it takes time. It takes the, you know, you have to be careful though with stories that are really important to you. Mm -hmm. um, but you do have to do it. So the thing is you have to have the right tools. If you know who you are, you take time with it and you get it right. right. Especially right. in this day and age, you can't just throw material up there because you do have cancel culture and people will be very upset. So you have to be responsible with material like that. Right. And especially in this moment where we have, I, I love the word being responsible 
with the stories of people that we're telling on stage, right? Uh, so how we talk about George Floyd either directly or indirectly or Tulsa implicitly or explicitly is a responsibility, especially as a black comedian. I think you take it seriously. Obviously, Paul Mooney was a master at making it very intricate in how he presented and educated it to folks. And I just, I appreciate comedians in our society so much. And I, because I fundamentally believe that the place of the comedian in society is, is one of the utmost importance of as, as people to help us remember, but also people who help us forget depending on what the time is. And so Marina, I'm so glad you were able to join us. Um, can you please, please tell us what is next for you? So um, next for me, um, you could just go to my website, marinafranklin.com. You can always check out my podcast with which Christina Greer has been on, you know, every, regularly. It's called Friends Like Us. And check out um, Hilarious. I'm in that. It's on Hulu. It's FX on Hulu. Ooh. Thank you so much for joining us. Promise us you'll come back soon. I would love to come back. Christina Greer, what's in it for <laughs> us, Christina yes, Greer? Yes, that is the question that we always ask. Uh, thank you, Marina Franklin, and we shall see you all next week. Thank you for listening to What's In It For Us. If you liked what you heard, please give us a five-star review and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts and share it with everyone you know. Please email all questions, suggestions, and compliments to podcasts at thegrio.com. The What's In It For Us podcast is brought to you by The Grio, an executive produced by Blue Tulusma and co-produced by Abdul Kudus, Antonio Thompson, and Taji Senior. Mm-hmm.